Why did they let Russell Crowe sing? Why does menthol shower gel make my balls sting? Every week we are delighted, listeners, to enter into your ears and give you the gift of entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) However, Mm. should we be entering your eyes as well and giving you the gift of visual entertainment? I'm not sure we should be entering our listeners at all. (laughs) I think this is deeply unsavoury, but what what are you leading up to? Consensual. Well, Daniel has written in to say... I've been listening to your podcast for many years now. Thank you. And I've always thought what a video version of your podcast would look like. Mm. Boring. That's what it would look like. (laughs) He obviously thinks that a visual version of Answer Me This would be the perfect fusion of audio and video, like uh, like the Sorcerer's Apprentice in Fantasia, with Martin as the dancing broomstick. So after a few years of listening and pondering, that's a long time to contemplate. It's like Buddha under the tree. <laughs> uh, I feel that the time is right, finally, to offer you the chance to make a video version of your podcast. Wow, what an opportunity. I've recently moved to London and thought I would see if you were interested in testing out my idea. No. See, the thing is, Daniel... We could do it ourselves, couldn't yeah, we? Yeah, you've got plenty of televisual experience and a lot of cameras. We've got, well, we've all got cameras on our phones nowadays. I mean, if yeah. we wanted to, we could film our every waking move. But it won't change the fact that this podcast... Uh, sorry to ruin the mental pictures of those of you that have a really thrilling vision for what happens, but it's just three people sitting in an untidy living room. It's yeah. not It's not a visual interest. It's like, why do people watch the live streams from the BBC studios on webcam of, say, Mayo and Kermode talking? I think... Well, well, with the Five Live thing, I think if it's, for example, Richard Bacon interviewing the Prime Minister... Then there's an argument to say, well, I'd like to see how the Prime Minister reacted when he put that question about health policy or whatever. We always love to see squirming, but most of the time it is just people sitting fairly still. Yeah, or in our case, when we're on Five Live with Chris Warburton, it's him looking a bit angry and looking down at his notes frustrated. (laughs) Yeah, or gesticulating wildly at someone behind the glass. Um, Which is actually a good segue, Helen, uh, for us to mention the fact that uh, we do uh, have a BBC Five Live podcast. I say we do, it's not ours, but we're we're on it every week. So it might as well be ours. Uh, And it's called Let's Talk About Tech. And thank you very much for everyone who has downloaded it and rated it and reviewed it. Yeah, we mentioned it before, but it was called The Joy of Tech then. But now it's Let's Talk About Tech or Let's Talk About... (laughs) internet themes search for that on iTunes and subscribe or the BBC website if you care not for iTunes and Daniel just to say thank you very much for the kind offer it's very sweet of you but it's best for everybody that this never happens and the visual version only exists in your head hi Helen it's Matt and Zoe from Winchester we're sat in an American diner right now and we were just wondering Helen Oi answer me this are there British themed diners in America or is it just as they have this weird fetishist thing with America. Well, I think it's true to say that we in Europe do have a particularly strange fetish for American diners, and that's because, A, America seemed exotic to people growing up in the 50s, and that's when they're always based, isn't it? It's the 1950s America. B, America's been uh, visually mythologised in films. Correct. Uh, And C, if you're talking about something you can sell all around the world, everyone is quite happy to have a cheeseburger. Because I don't think that a traditional greasy spoon cafe aesthetic would really take off in the States. But they do have... English-related things, but what's frustrating is they tend to conflate them with Irish-related things. So they have British theme bars, which are basically Irish pubs. And yet the Irish pubs have baseball and pulled pork. In Epcot, there's the Rose and Crown, 
which is a British pub. In a way, it's very impressive because architecturally they have recreated the kind of Victoriana thing quite well. Have they got horse brasses on the wall? That kind of thing. Does uh, it look nicotine stained? No, well, this is the thing. This is the thing. You go in and you can't quite define what it is. You can't quite put your finger on what it is, but it's just a bit cleaner and a bit nicer. And, you know, it's accessible to wheelchairs. And it's just not... How dare they? I'm just saying, that straight away makes you realise you're not in a 200-year-old building. And they can't help that. But that's the thing. English pubs just don't feel quite right when they try and recreate them. Whereas I think American diners are probably easier to export because you say we're we're all so familiar with that culture. The other thing, when you go in the Rose and Crown, Mm. there's a woman playing uh, the piano. And when I went in there, like a sort of cockney knees up, and she was singing Piano Man. (laughs) <laughs> and, and the frat boys were like waving their beers in the air and singing along and I was like I've literally never had this much fun in an English pub it just wouldn't yeah, happen yeah, everyone would yeah. be really miserable and it was next door a sort of traditional British fish and chip outlet which in Disney World they call the Yorkshire County Fish Shop Yorkshire does have a very well, attractive yeah, Whitby, coastline. Whitby does some lovely fish and chips. Yeah. Yes, but people in Whitby don't call it Yorkshire County, do they? Also, in sometimes I've been uh, browsing on TripAdvisor and someone has advertised an English-style B&B. And to me, that's an automatic no-no. Because yeah. firstly, I know that it'll be extremely frilly and chintzy. But also, English B&Bs compared to American B&Bs, the breakdown is this. An American B&B is twice as expensive as a hotel. Yeah. They'll have like drinks evenings and stuff. The owners really want to make friends. An English B&B is half the price of a hotel and the breakfast is tin tomatoes and a fried slice (laughs) here's a question from adam who says recently tom cruise rudely invaded trafalgar square with the filming of his latest film what a tool and the whole area was closed down streets were closed shop shutters rolled down and pigeons forced to relocate i'm sure they were all paid off including the pigeons i don't think the pigeons would mind but a change of scene something else to poo on pigeons be excited by pooing on tom cruise he'd be like wow pigeon shit it's a sign from xenu uh adam says ollie answer me this when filming does take place in somewhere such as this i.e a public place Mm. where it is required to close the area down does Let's shut it down. <laughs> What's that song? That's Black Eyed We're Peas. in the club. Oh, thanks for it. Thanks Let's shut it down. Yeah. I mean, every time I hear that, I always think, why are you shutting it down? You're having a nice time. Well, it's an expression that people use, Ollie, to suggest they're having such a nice time that a nice time is being had. Yeah, and but- yeah, they're suggesting like... Well, your restaurant is not obeying health and safety. I found a dead rat on my plate. I'm yeah, shutting this I'm down. I'm shutting this place down. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it, how phrases invert? I never thought I'd be the old man who'd say that. Yeah. Like, why do people say wicked when what? they mean nice? Why are you saying her body is sick? What's Has cool she got and what's TB? Hot? But I do think that's just, let's shut it down means, yeah, there's been some sort of infringement. Are of... you too pathetic? This is what I aimed at you. <laughs> okay. Okay, anyway. Adam says, when, fil- <laughs> <laughs> when filming takes place in somewhere like Trafalgar Square where yeah. it is required to close the area down, yeah. Let's shut it down. <laughs> Does the film production company have to pay? And if so, whom? Yeah, of course they have to pay. Ooh. Yeah. Whom? Well. My girlfriend, says Adam, thinks they pay the council. I think they pay the local tenants or landowners who may be at a loss because of their schedule. Who the hell is right on this one? Well, both of you. Oh, really? Well, everyone I gets paid. neither. Well, of course, but they're everyone's money bags, aren't they, when film company comes to town? Um, so, I mean, in the specific instance of Trafalgar Square, it's actually quite an interesting one because uh, it's a square. It's got numerous sides. Yeah, and there that's are different... right. How many sides does a square have, <laughs> well, Don't test me. Think back to you Sesame Street. You didn't say Street. this would be an IQ test today, Helen. <laughs> um, uh, and different companies own different parts of the square. So yeah. the square as a whole is run by the Greater London Authority. Uh, then you need to get it cleared by the Mayor of London. Then you've got the National Gallery there as well. Uh, and as he says, you know, private tenants too. Mm. Uh, and then the whole of that kind of central area of London basically is run by Westminster Council. And Trafalgar Square is a major traffic junction. You're interfering with the lower bus routes. Yeah. But it's all available for a price, basically. Yeah, okay. And the organisation you have to go and see first is the Special Events Group. 
which is described on its website as a discretionary, brackets, non-statutory service offered by Westminster Council who deal with two and a half thousand applications per year. Oh, so they've just outsourced what is They've created business. a little subgroup mm. that charge you for a consultation Oof. so that you find out how much you need to spend. It costs £75 an hour to go and discuss <laughs> with them how much the filming will cost. Well, Trafalgar Square, middle of the day, how much is that going to set you back, do you reckon? Fuck loads. At least 20 quid. Well, they won't... <laughs> yeah, but if you think about the films that you've seen set in those places, the low-budget ones tend to be filmed very early in the morning or very late at night or on a handheld camera. If you're talking about a big rig... It's a massive Hollywood film, isn't it? You're thinking about things like Skyfall. Mm. You know in the the Bourne, the one where Paddy Considine is running around in Waterloo, Waterloo Station? Yeah. So presumably they just sort of filmed it on the hoof when it was a normal day, right? Because yeah, why would apparently. you get 2,000 extras when you've got commuters? Yeah, that was, a, like, that was a, like a guerrilla shoot, apparently. But then you've got to really be sure that you're not going to frighten someone, haven't you? Give someone a heart attack as well. Yeah. Um, Paddy Considine gets shot in it, but all of the blood and stuff is CGI. It's just him falling over, basically, right. in, in Waterloo Station. Yeah, which can happen. You could slip on a discarded cupcake or something. <laughs> Easily happen. You've got a question. Email your question to answer me. This podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me. This podcast at googlemail.com. Here's an email from Shannon who begins Other people's kids are shit. Wow. That's yeah. a bold opening statement, isn't it? Okay. What's the problem with other people's kids? I mean, not all of them can be shit. Well, we're about to find out. Because they all turn into people, and not all people are shit. She says, My husband and I are happily married and have happily decided not to have kids. Uh, while we respect the fact that so many people do want kids... Yeah, we respect the fact that evolution has made the human race <laughs> want to reproduce itself. <laughs> we decided we would rather spend our time and money on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, however, we're in our mid-30s, so most of our peer group have reproduced or are in the process of reproducing. Yeah, I've got that as well. Um, again, that's just great for them, but we really don't care. Uh, it seems that once someone has a baby, they assume the entire world cares as much as they do. Not everybody thinks that. But we don't. Facebook albums are easy to ignore. Is that true? I, I find them strangely mm. compelling, even the ones yes. I don't want to look at at yes. all. Friends going to weddings of people you've never even met. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, the, the success of Facebook is that the Facebook mm. albums are surprisingly difficult to ignore. Indeed. Uh, anyway, disagree with you there, Shannon, but I'll persist. Uh, Facebook albums are easy to ignore, but what about the people who give us physical photographs? Well, they are really being very presumptuous, I think. Have you had this? People giving you physical photos of their children? A couple of times. Although really? one, one printed out a postcard to say thanks for a baby gift, and I thought that was very nice. Shannon says, uh, several friends of hers and my boss's wife <laughs> regularly send us photos of their kids dressed up for Easter, Halloween and Christmas. And everybody then complains that paedophiles looking at pictures of their kids but they're not exactly being careful about where pictures of their kids go are they i'm not saying you're a paedophile shannon but you might know one <laughs> that has access to your photos that's no, a good it's a good point uh while we're happy she says that they are excited about their kids we just don't give that big of a shit y you have made that clear yeah you have no shits to give <laughs> so helen answer Fresh me this out of shits. helen answer me this what should we do Kill the kids! Yeah, I, I mean, really? Is this that big a problem? Just put up with it or make friends with people that are either past breeding age or too young to want to do it, which, well, they are pretty much kids themselves, so you're stuck with the olds. Well, I have to say, the two solutions that Shannon provides, which are the status quo, seem fine to me. Okay. Uh, she says, currently, we throw the pictures away nearly as soon as the parents aren't looking, uh, but that's wasteful 
and would probably really hurt their feelings if they knew. Well, so don't, don't tell them. them yeah. yeah, and it is wasteful, but you know, you're making an equation here, isn't it? Better to not offend yeah, them they... and be a bit wasteful. They've been wasteful by making the picture. Exactly. They wanted to give you the picture. The picture has been given. Yeah. That's as much as either of you should really worry about. Indeed. Alternatively, Shannon says, should we tell our friends we don't need six photos of their kids a year so they can save their money and give those photos? To people who may care, people who haven't run out of shits. Uh, or <laughs> People should... have got a big backlog of shits waiting to be disposed of. <laughs> should we continue to graciously accept the photos mm. and then promptly throw them away when no one is looking? Yes, yes. that's what you should do. Yeah, yes, the word that. graciously is a lot better than any of the other words in that sentence. <laughs> I think that's right, yes. Yeah, because uh, what's more important to you, that your friends are happy in their giving to you of just six photos a year. That's not too much uh, for you to dispose of. It might be a bit irritating, Shannon, but the fact is... There's no point being a bitch about it by telling your friends you're not interested and uh, they'll stop doing it in a few years because their kids won't be cute forever. They'll be annoying little shits and then the parents will just want to complain to you about them, which is a whole different problem. Not sure that's true. And I recognise the picture you're painting. but The ugly child. (laughs) But I do also recognise the scenario where someone who is actually very bored of their child and mm. is actually regretting this is a bit of a taboo isn't it rarely comes up but actually regretting ever having had children yeah well, well they just missed the life they had yeah that they can't have back i recognize that that person actually might get ever more proactive with distributing photographs of their child to sort of justify why they did it or to assuage their guilt yes but exactly so if you get a picture where your children look angelic it almost makes up for the fact that underneath it all they're a terrible nest of cocks well it's it's more that they uh, they go look i love my children enough to give all of my friends pictures of them covering yeah, up yeah, the fact yeah. that they've got secretly some issues quite like them to get adopted yeah or at least join the army yeah can, that's can right. you get a two-year-old to join the army they don't want anything fatal to happen they're just quite like a month to themselves um also <laughs> i i think that no one no one would understand if you explained to them this scenario why you were saying it because if they feel Mm. this much love for their children that they're doing this in the first place and for you because they're giving you several pictures of them that that takes effort they'll think it's irrational of you to make the point that the photos are wasteful because you don't care i think it's difficult though when you reach that point of your life when everyone else is having children and you're not and you do think oh should I just get all new friends? And well, it's an option, isn't it? Or just only make friends with other childless couples? Because I don't object to my friends having babies. I'm sure they'll oh, all thanks, be delighted. Helen. It's good to have your to permission. Know. The problem for me, were I being selfish, is that I wouldn't have friends to hang out with anymore because they'd be too busy raising a child. Yeah. So it's not so much that I'd gone off my friends because I am interested in their children up to a point. But then who am I going to hang out with? Yeah. So it's got to be the barren people. <laughs> Isn't it weird when you're a child, or maybe this was just me because I was an only child, narcissistic mm-hmm. and self-obsessed. But when you're a child, you <laughs> well, don't really reach self-realization, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Took seven years. <laughs> when you're a child, you don't really realize, I think, you uh, <laughs> that your parents' friends might not like you. I'm aware oh. that obviously, if you're raised in a house where your parents' friends are slightly less discreet than my parents' friends, evidently were, yeah. that may not apply. Maybe but generally all, speaking, maybe they all liked you, though. No, I was a knob. Of course, they didn't oh. like me. They would have thought I was precocious and pretentious and a bit weird. Yeah, but that's funny when you can leave it at the end of the evening. Yeah, yeah, they may. Yeah, they may have found me funny, but that's different, isn't it? To, to actually actively feeling positive about a person. I imagine you being a bit like an urbane version of the kid from Bad Santa. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably about right, actually. Except you never would have whittled somebody a pickle out of wood. <laughs> I didn't have the skill mm. Didn't have the handicraft But you would have publicised that pickle oh, really well Oh I would well. have publicised the hell of that pickle I'd have done posters for that pickle <laughs> On every lamppost in my street But it just wouldn't have occurred to me That they'd be talking about me behind my back Or that they'd think 
What I, do. I just don't give a shit about this yeah. guy. He's ruined my relationship with, with his parents. Because mm. there are a few kids that I know, six or seven-year-olds, and I don't like them. I mean, I really don't like them. I think they are real tools. Explain. Oh. Can you say without revealing who they are? I don't know. There was one... He wasn't even six at the time. And he gave me a half-hour lecture about iPhone insurance. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm never going to like you. Yeah. That's, yeah but, that's not allowed, is it? But, well... But the thing is, in a way, isn't it nice that they're showing potential to be the person to be that you wouldn't like? an insurance broker. Yeah, but, but that's fine, isn't it? They've got to follow their own path. You've found something he's passionate about, whether that's iPhone insurance Can't or Barney. portfolio careers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Helen, Oliver, though life is full of questions, there are answers you must know. One. No, it will not fall off, but moderation in all things too. Yes, there probably is, but we won't find out in our lifetimes. Three, most people prefer colliery, but my personal favourite is Dalton. Four, if you try and slip a one, it would ruin your friendship. Righto, time to take a question from our question line, the number for which is... 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this as well. Hello, this is Anna and my husband Robert. We are just calling to ask whether they still sell or still win goldfish as a prize at the fairgrounds or whether the RSPCA have banned it. The RSPCA have not banned it because the RSPCA have no legislating power, even if they wanted it. There's lots of things they'd want to ban. Presumably a lot of them would want to ban any meat consumption, but they can't. Uh, they have to wait for an act of parliament and no such act has occurred. Well, also, they are for the P of A, not for the P of fish. F a part of A? No, they're not. When did fish ever give uh, the RSPCA a cuddle? Never! I think it's true. You don't often see the ads on telly, do you? You're like, for only £2 a month you can stop him getting algae no one would get that's because goldfish only live for about three months well this is the thing and this is why even though there has been an act of parliament fairly recently 2005 in terms of animal welfare Mm. uh, there was no mention in the animal welfare act of goldfish specifically uh, and the closest that they came to uh, ruling this out uh, was they raised the age that you're allowed to be if you win a pet as a prize from 12 to 16. So isn't 16 around the age where you really don't want to win a fish? You'd <laughs> yeah, rather win anything, true. even the giant teddy bear. I think. Well, maybe that was the idea. Maybe they were like, only people between the age of 12 and 16 are really that bothered about winning a fish, yeah. so let's make it impossible for them to win a fish. In, um, in Scotland, it is illegal, though. Also, I should imagine that for the proprietors of the fair prizes, it's not convenient to have a bunch of live fish in plastic bags which are quite vulnerable it's a lot easier to have a load of toys that cost them maybe 30 pence yeah i'm not sure though because i think the fish when you actually analyze per fish per unit cost what does the fish cost i think actually the fish probably cost roughly the same as those cheap made in china toys yeah but they require feeding and not killing yeah yeah but they don't do they because they treat them really badly this is the point they treat them badly they die all the time they know that they're going to die as soon as they get handed over and the point is they look like they cost more People don't think of a fish as worth 30p. They probably think it's worth a couple of quid. No, but the toys never die. So that's a lot more practical. And the toys never get loved either, though, do they? At least the fish has a fighting chance. You can't love a fish. You just can't. The worst thing is that people win the fish and then they go on the waltzer with it. 
<laughs> I, mean, I know that the fish is buffered to some extent by its watery environment, but still, it's not designed to be spinning round and round. Well, it's not designed to live in a polythene bag either. No, well, that's true, but still, it can't be enjoying the ride. Uh, it all seems very wrong to me, but the only way that uh, basically anything's going to happen about it, I'm afraid, is putting pressure on your local council not to allow funfairs that have fish in bags. And uh, I don't know, if you've got to pick a campaign, it's a hard one to really get behind, isn't it? Mm. Howdy, it's Elliot and Chizik. Um, I was telling on the. could you tell me, uh, who was the, um, what was the first uh, novel written on the computer? Is it Douglas Adams? No. Was right. it? But was, it, it is sci-fi authors, oh, surprisingly. Oh, oh Chaucer. Dick. <laughs> Dick. No, it's not Dick. Was it, um, was it Stephen King? Well, okay. No one knows for sure because obviously computers kind of evolved... Uh, gradually it wasn't like there was suddenly a moment where there was a word processor that you could buy that was considered the ultimate word processor and therefore the computer age had begun yeah there was there was experiments you know and some authors tried writing bits of books and so on and also an early adopter of computing a super nerd might have written a novel that never saw the light of day well exactly i mean there's this guy called matthew kirschenbaum who's actually written a book on the subject of literature on computers uh, and uh, he points to geeks writing poetry using computer coding as the earliest example of computer literature but that's clearly not the answer to this question I'm quite glad actually Elliot that you've specified novel uh, because at least that takes poetry out of it Uh, novel wise it seems to be a three horse race no one's quite sure who got there first but uh, the ones that are floated about online are Jerry Pornell ever heard of him? can't say I have no wrote a sci-fi book called Oath of Fealty in 1981. Was it an Irish sci-fi Sounds book? sexy. Uh, it was a sci-fi thriller about a sky city above a future apocalyptic Los Angeles. Oh. A- and probably the most high profile is Stephen King. Uh, but he doesn't... No one's really claiming he got there first, but which, certainly the most novel? high profile. Well, it's a short story, oh. which is called Word Processor of the Gods, which he wrote <laughs> in 1983. So a kind of self-consciously mm. meta thing about word processing, which was published originally in Playboy. Right. So there you are, pornography innovating online, some, even in the early days. Some people buy it for the articles. Um, and uh, that later became part of Skeleton Crew, his collection of short stories. So you could okay. say that that was the first part of a big book by a famous author that was written on a word processor. Good enough. That's good enough for me. He wrote it on a computer called the Wang System 5. Of course he did. Just so, <laughs> keep that to yourself. What a droll fellow. <laughs> I don't know about you, listeners, but sometimes I reach the end of a podcast with a wanton craving for more. In such moments, I confess, I have recourse to the Answer Me This app on the iPhone and, additionally, in times of dire need, Android, upon which I have indulged in the weekly bonus material and over three hours of best bits. Have a banana, or not, if you're Kath from York, who says, This morning, over breakfast, my dad was having an argument with my mum about whether it's acceptable to eat a banana in a meeting. Not unless you cut it up first, <sighs> you dirty, phallocentric woman. <laughs> Were they really arguing about that, Kath? Or had their emotions escalated from an earlier hurtful conversation about something else? Mother, father, please stop fighting! <laughs> um, we decided no, says Kath. No, a banana is not suitable for a meeting. It depends on the meeting, really. If you work for a banana company, then yeah. I think anything's fair game. Or in a monkey house. Um, or a sex meeting. She says the reason is it, they class it as a smelly food. 
Yeah, that's most foods, isn't it? And the ones that aren't smelly are noisy, like water biscuits. But I'm not sure a banana's that smelly. No. Um, I mean, then... compared to other fruits. I love it when uh, people uh, bust out a nice uh, fragrant apple or orange in public and start peeling it. It makes everything mm. smell fresh. Yeah, but anyway, Kath's mother says that in her meetings in the morning, some people eat cereal. Whoa. She mm. thinks that's rude. Dry or milky? Because both are going to make noise, but a different noise. It depends whether you prefer crunching or liquidy noise. Um, so, Helen, answer me this. Should eating in public be limited to non-smelly foods? Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't think a meeting is in public. No, I think you're right. It's not like my granny who uh, wouldn't let us eat sherbet walking along the street in Ashwell, Hertfordshire. I think the convenience of the food that you're eating is in some way an apology for why you're eating it. So, for example, when we do get office jobs and I work in an office for the day, I've been known yeah. to stop off at a pret en route and pick yep. up an egg mayonnaise sandwich. Yeah. Oh. I'll eat that in front of people. Now, that is yeah. both smelly That's worse. and quite ostentatious. And the office that we work in is not very well ventilated. Indeed. But, you see, the distinction in my mind is, had I made an egg mayonnaise sandwich at home mm. and brought it with, like, the tinfoil wrapping <laughs> and made a real show of it, like, with a packed lunchbox, yeah. that would be overdoing it. Somehow, because everyone in the room knows, they recognise the branding, they see the packaging, they're like, oh, OK, he stopped at Pret and got a sandwich en route. They understand that the reason I'm eating is that I've been squeezed for time and it's convenient. Yes, but also, you're not eating in a meeting. The meeting's not for eating. You're eating <laughs> at your computer time. Whereas a meeting, you should be concentrating on the facts of the meeting, surely, unless it's an eating meeting where people have brought muffin baskets. But I do think cereal, anything that requires bowls... Yes. Unless it's great. No, I agree. Actually, any kind of cutlery, actually. I mean, that's, again, down to my salad argument. I think if you can eat it in your hands, you can eat it in a meeting. Although you wouldn't want to eat chicken wings, either would you? Anything that makes mess. burrito. (laughs) Okay, so anything you can eat in your hands that then is completely gone and doesn't leave behind detritus. So I think we're saying fruit fine, except for maybe the durian fruit, because that is the the fruit that smells of dog shit. Hello, this is uh, Matthew uh, from Lowestoft. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Uh, Recently, we have moved house and purchased quite a lot of old antique furniture, including chests of drawers. Now, it's something that's confused me slightly, that every single chest of drawers we've purchased, the bottom of the drawers seem to be lined with either Christmas paper, newspaper, or wallpaper. Um, so Helen Ali, answer me this. Why do people line the bottom of their drawers with this type of paper? Does he mean why Christmas paper rather than any normal wrapping paper? Oh, so it's a two-part question. Why paper at all, and then why oh. that type of paper? I assumed that he'd already processed the first part. Well, no, let's co- deal with the first part, because I'm not sure really why there's paper in drawers. Is it, is it something to do with stopping the wood splintering? Well, stopping the splinters snagging on your delicate clothes. Ah. Yeah, and some maybe some people like looking into their drawers and seeing some wallpaper down there. So, second part of the question, why is it often wrapping paper and newspaper? I can answer that, because it's cheap. And it's big. If cheap and big, yeah. If you A4, it's not yeah. going to cover your drawer. But also, that would look more like a mistake, wouldn't it? Open a drawer, loads of A4 in there, whereas yeah. a piece of paper that covers the whole surface area without break. Yeah, it means that you know that it's not the drawer where you keep the A4. Yeah, and it's pretty as well, isn't it, wrapping oh, paper? I've got some lovely wrapping paper in my drawers, <laughs> <laughs> as it were. I thought you were walking funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, every November, I smear myself with goose grease and then wrap myself up till March. <laughs> well, we have another question of stuff you might find in an antique shop. Or in a drawer. Uh, it's indeed, yeah, we can find anything in a drawer, Helen. I mean, I could be leading on to ask a question about dildo if it was that yeah we probably wouldn't find things that are bigger than a drawer right. in a drawer here's another question about old crap it's from Robert <laughs> who says there is a certain Chinese monochrome print often seen on plates and in blue 
not the boy band, <laughs> and which was popular in the 90s. That's right, the 1790s. <laughs> Do you know what he's talking about? Yeah. He says it has a house and a tiny man and a woman and a bridge and a boat. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The willow pattern. Yeah, the willow pattern. The willow pattern. pattern, is that a thing? Well, he says, Helen, answer me this. Does the design have a name? Yes, the willow, willow pattern. pattern. Right. Is the artist Chinese and oh. what's the story behind it? Well, uh, the blue and white china was uh, really, really popular in the 18th century because uh, they'd started importing stuff from China. Apparently three million pieces of blue and white china were imported that century, which is a lot at the time. But so it's a souvenir, you, isn't it? You can't buy it from Amazon. Yeah, it was a souvenir of a place you've never seen. Yeah, exactly. But it's saying I'm rich enough to know people yes. that have been to this place. Well, exactly. Or I'm rich enough to import a load of stuff from this place. Yeah, well, I understand that. And, and so the only image that people had of China then really was the pictures that were on pottery. And uh, then it's slightly disputed as to who first had this thought, but Josiah Spode is a good candidate of Spode China. But anyway, he thought, well, instead of importing it, I'm going to make it. And so he just got this really kitsch view of China. So he thought, well, what do people associate with China? Willows, uh, pagodas, mm. uh, little people dressed as Chinese people. And um, <laughs> put, put them all on the plates in this familiar scene. and Everyone copied it. The market exploded. Very good. The other person that people attribute uh, the willow pattern to is uh, the engraver Thomas Minton. I don't know whether you can weave any jokes out of his name. Yeah, he got minted after all of it. Mm. Yeah, he was very popular. Yeah. Super. So then what happened was that this became so popular that then the Chinese uh, started uh, reproducing it. Well, as happens now. But that got people thinking, this must be a traditional Chinese design. I see. And so then a myth was invented to suggest that this was an old thing. So the, the story is, you know, there's a little couple. They're eloping because the girl's father is a powerful Mandarin who wants her to marry an elderly wealthy man and she doesn't want to so he keeps her behind a fence there's also a fence on there and then uh, she and her lover elope and they get on the little boat there's always a little boat uh, and uh, so they go to an island uh, and then the mandarin uh, catches up with them sets them on fire and they turn into the two birds that are depicted on the willow pattern as well the end Very everyone good. is uh, sort of miserable that sounds like quite a plausible story until you say he kept her behind a fence <laughs> a decorative fence. Right. No one can pass a decorative fence, Martin. Very hard to climb. Well, we've reached the end of this week's episode, uh, but we welcome your questions, as always, for next week's episode. Uh, get them in now via email, via phone, or via Skype. All the details can be found on our tremendous website, answermethispodcast.com, where you can also find links to our Twitter account and our Facebook page. Yes, follow us on there, please. Yeah, especially as Facebook have this cheeky new thing where if you've uh, liked a page, they don't necessarily give you the updates of that page so maybe just check in at facebook.com slash answer me this occasionally yeah. see if anything's gone it's on in your point. absence because it's one thing offering up a free product and telling people about it for free we're not going to start paying to tell you that our free product is available on a free product that we're using for free <laughs> exactly yeah but we'll be back next week with another free episode of answer me this unless we have a 100 billion dollar flotation in the meantime let's go see ya bye, bye.